Good morning. Uh, Pastor Joe is, I believe, in flight to Congo uh, as we speak, and so this morning I have the opportunity to share with you uh, one of the five solas, Christ alone, solas Christus. But before we jump into that this morning, let us go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God that loves and pursues and is in control, that you made a path available to us get to you. And Father, we thank you that that path is through Jesus Christ. And so this morning as we share your word, Father, I pray that you would speak to us. That you would speak through the scriptures we read, that you would speak through me, that you would allow us to hear your truths. That this would be an opportunity to understand more of who you are and what you've done. And so, Father, that we can give you more praise. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would speak to us fervently through your word and in our hearts through the Spirit. Father, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you continue to do. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Now, this morning, we are going to talk about the sola that sits at the center of all five. Uh, They're all important and they all intermingle into one another. Uh, And they're all thoughts that are so important to the Scriptures and to what God wants of our lives and what He has done that 500 years ago people had to basically rebel against the church. That the church had gotten so far away from God that something had to take place. And so this morning as we talk about Christ alone, we think about the fact that not only does our faith hinge on that, not only does our life get led by that, but all of these other thoughts, all of these other processes, these solas are linked to this one. All of them point to Christ. As we read Scripture, we quickly realize that the book, the Bible, it's all about Him. As we, we find grace alone, this free gift from Christ, we have faith alone is how we respond to Christ, and glory to God alone comes from our belief in Christ alone. God gets all the glory for our salvation. And so all of these solas are tied into one another, and they all point the direction to the cross and to Christ and what He did. And, and i I got to be a little honest with you. We might get a little excited this morning for two reasons. Uh, one, I was so stressed out all week about this sermon because there's just so much in Scripture about it. And I was like, how do I fill this into however much time I chair this morning? All right? I didn't want anyone to leave. Uh, but not only that, But the antithesis of this, of Christ alone, greatly impacted my own life. 
Like I walked the opposite of this before I understood Scripture. And so there's something here that we have to talk about that if we're being completely honest, if this isn't how you read Scripture, if this isn't what you see God telling us, I don't know that we're worshiping the same God. And so I want you, I want you to do that. But now before we jump in, though, I want to share a little story with you. When I was growing up, uh, when I, I don't remember when we started, I'm assuming ever since I was a baby, but we went to church. I went to church, I went to classes on Wednesday night, I went to Sunday school, and, and I did this uh, probably all the way up until I was somewhere between 10 and 12, I can't quite remember. But we went to church, and I thought it was always important to my mother, but what I realized was it, it was very important to my grandfather, because when, as he passed away, we stopped going to church. And, uh, but I can remember a few things about my time in church. I remember hearing about rules and regulations. I remember reading a lot, but not of the scriptures, but about people talking and telling me things about the scriptures. I remember sitting in a two-hour service and reading the Bible for like ten minutes. If God's Word is only present ten minutes out of two hours, you should start to be concerned. I remember stop attending church. I remember when we quit going. And I remember this very clearly. Nothing changed in our lives. We, we, we no longer went to church, but there was no difference. And what I realized was that church, we did that at church, and that never came home with us. And then I remember a few years later down the road when I was 15, and I remember sitting, we'd moved I was in a youth group, and I remember sitting there hearing the pastor one. We were at a youth event on New Year's Eve, and I remember hearing the gospel for the first time. And I hope you caught that. I'd been in church since I can remember. 10, 12 years. And for the very first time, I truly heard the gospel. That Christ had came into this world because we were sinners, and He died on the cross and rose again for our salvation. For the very first time I'd ever truly heard it. And it was, it was impactful to me. I remember that day so vividly. I remember that day having faith that Christ was who He said He was and did what He said He did. Faith in God who would send His Son into this world to give His life for our sins. However, there are more truths to that that I learned. As I've studied Scripture, as I've seen God tell His story and what He's done through Christ, there's more and more to that that I've come across. Now, as Brian read Romans 5, 17-19, and Pastor Joe preached on this some time ago. I can't keep track. We've been in Romans a really long time. Uh, that's how good of a book Romans is. We should take our time in it. Uh, but this is going to be our outline this morning. I'm going to reread it to you. But this is kind of how we're going to look at this idea of why we teach Christ alone. All right, I grew up in a place, in a church, in America. All right, it's not like I was somewhere else that taught something opposing to that. All right, and this is, this is our background. For because of one man's trespass, 
death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by this one man's obedience that many were made righteousness. Now, if you take notes, you'll notice that you have a blank little thing on the back of your note. You can write this down. This is what I want you to hear this morning, and this is what I want you to remember. Righteousness is a gift needed by sinners, received by faith. All right, that's what we're going to focus on this morning. And everything to talk about is going to continually point back to that. We're going to start with righteousness is a gift needed by sinners. And this is what Paul is saying here. This is a little reminder. If by one man, and that one man is Adam, sin entered the world and death reigned, then how much more will there be life through one man, we receive the free gift of righteousness. Now, what is that saying in very simple terms? Through one man, through one man, through one man, through who? Through Christ. Through who? Christ alone. I want you to catch that. We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning because I think it's important to see that this is all throughout the Bible. God repeatedly through his people is saying, Christ alone, Christ alone, Christ alone, not through one man in actions, but through one man, his one act of righteousness, the life and death of Christ and the resurrection. That's one act, one thing altogether. And through that account, there would be justification for all who have faith. Through one man and his obedience, we would be made right before God. One man, Christ alone. There's no Christ plus. Scripture doesn't say have faith in Christ and anything. It ends. Have faith in Christ. Christ alone. To understand this righteousness is a gift, we must first truly understand our need for that gift. Why do we need righteousness? See, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure we all have a problem. And that problem is, if not now, we have all at some point in our life been dead to our trespasses. And what does that mean? It means a few things. It means that the wrath of God was against us. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever dealt with anyone's wrath. But it's never a pleasant thing. Maybe go work in like customer service for a day. All right? If you've ever had to deal with the wrath of someone... It's not a pleasant thing. Now, I want you to think about this. Whose wrath is against this? God's wrath. Not someone trying to return something that they decided they didn't need, but God's wrath. The creator of the entire universe. The God that speaks into existence. Sons. And what happens is our sin put his wrath against us. So now we have the creator of the universe against us. We were spiritually dead. Paul, Paul compares it at points to us being at war with God. How would you like to go with war with a guy that can speak into existence anything he would like? Your chances are zero. Actually, probably negative. 
Our sin puts us in enmity with our Creator. There becomes this large expanse between us and God because of what we did. God is way over here, and there's this giant gap between us. All right, just picture the Grand Canyon. See if you can jump across it. See, when I was young, I never thought about life like that. I never thought of myself as being against God. I never realized what sin truly did to me. My sin had caused my life to be death and to be against my Creator. But see, the thing is, as I've grown and I've read Scripture and I've heard people teach it, as you dive into the Word of God, you begin to see some truths that maybe you've never noticed before. See, God doesn't end there at war with sinners. The book doesn't end there. It's not like God created man, man sinned, and God's like, I hate man forever. Chapter 3, we're done. Genesis. No rest of the Bible. That's not where God stopped. What God does is completely amazing. See, we see these truths all. We see a God that pursues His people. A God that desires a covenant relationship with Him. A God that loves them and wants them back at home and pursues us relentlessly. A God that sees us standing on the horizon desiring something more of our life and He comes running to us. See, there's this great expanse between us and God and there's no way we can figure out how to get across. And instead of God being like, good luck, He says, you know what? I'm going to send a way to you. As sinners, we know that our relationship with God is not only just destructive and leading to death, but we, it's, it's war against God Himself. And we are desperately in need of restoration, of healing in that relationship. But how? What is required to fix this divide? And what would it cost us? See, that's a question I've wrestled with and I wrestled with as a young kid. As we left the church, and I began to think about this, because I, I knew of God. Like, we had been taught of God, and my family talked about God, and we talked about Jesus, and, and I knew of God, but I wrestled with this idea. How can I ever be good enough for God? And a lot of people wrestle with that. As Christians, sometimes we wrestle with, how do I, I sin, how do I, how do I fix it, God? How do I? I want you to keep hearing that. I keep saying I, 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 I. There's a problem there. So what do we do? How do we fix it? We read our Bibles. We pray. We go to church. We confess our sins. We tithe. We do good deeds that outweigh the bad. We give money to the poor and needy. We take action. We believe that Christ can do something. We spend our resources, our time, our money, our energy doing good things. Things to help our fellow man but also look good on a resume. Sounds tricky, but doable. We can do those things, right? None of those are bad things. Actually, all of those are things we should be doing. But there's a problem, and it's the same problem I wrestled with as a child, and it's the same problem I didn't understand. When I do all of these things, I was expected, if I sinned, to pray so many prayers. Or my parents had to give so much more money, or... or or these expectations, or I had to go confess to a certain person. How, and in the midst of that, my question always came up, how do I know that I'm still right with God? 
Like, how can I for sure know that God is on my side? If, if Scripture says that we're saved and God is on our side, then how do I know if I'm constantly messing up? And the only way to fix it is to keep working at it. That's a scary thought. And that's the thought that, how, how would you know? Well, I did a good deed today, but I sinned eight times yesterday, so I need to do eight more good deeds today. I was raised to hear that. And that's scary. That's scary because it relies on me, and guess what? I, I can't fix anything. I really can't fix anything. Uh, no, we're doing some construction in the youth room here, but free. Uh, if I'm relying on my own actions, what happens when my actions don't line up, not only with being right, but with God's standards? All right, my sin separated me of this great expanse of God, and so how can my goodness get me back? Do I need to read more scripture? Do I need to sacrifice more money? Do I need to serve in another ministry? Let's flip forward to Paul in, the, in Galatians. Like I said, we're going to we're going to be all over the place this morning, so get your fingers ready. Now, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 2. Uh, Paul was writing to Asia Minor, and this letter of the Galatians went to a lot of churches, and they were struggling with the same issue, that trying to gain righteousness. And they were trying to do this through outward actions. All right, this is what... Paul says, he says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. See, they wanted to include something in their salvation. They wanted righteousness, but they wanted it through also circumcision. See, the Galatian church, there were a lot of Jews in the church, and so there was an expectation of this is what we've done for so long that we should continue to do this thing. They knew that they needed righteousness. There was a realization that there was a great expanse between them and God, and something had to be made right all right, that's righteousness. Something had to be made right for them to get over there. They knew that in their hearts. And so this is what they did when they wanted to come to righteousness. Instead of accepting this free gift that God offered to them of Christ alone, they injected some measure of human standards into the formula. You gain righteousness by Christ and... In the form of Asia Minor here to the church in circumcision. So if you're going to be righteous here, this is what they were saying and why Paul addresses. If you're going to be righteous, you must have faith in Christ and get circumcised. That is what the expectation was. They, they, see, Paul tells them if they want to follow the law, I feel like this is Paul and he's like, you know what? Go ahead. You do it. However... Just a little note here. You have to follow it perfectly. Now, how perfectly do we need to follow it? You see, you can't just pick and choose the law you guys want. You have to follow it all the way to the 100%. Because if you mess up point 
zero, one percent, guess what? You failed. And that expanse is going to remain there. It's going to put you so far away from God that you have no way of getting across. All right, let's move back a little to Galatians chapter 2, because Paul continues, all right, I guess was talking about this earlier. And this is what he says, Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now we get a different angle. All right, instead of addressing the law itself, all right, Paul, Paul is calling the, the law a problem. All right, we have a problem here with the law. See, the law wasn't designed for us to keep it. The law wasn't designed for the Israelites to keep it. The law was designed for two things. To point to God's holiness and to show that they needed a Savior. The law wasn't designed for them to keep. The law wasn't keepable. We are sinful people. But God had a plan. And He set it up. And the problem is oftentimes what happens is we insert ourselves into that plan and we say, okay, we think we know what's going on here. Instead of diving into God's Word and seeing, all right, what does God actually say about this? See, if righteousness came through the law, then Christ's death is completely pointless. What's Paul saying about that? This is what he's saying. If Christ died on the cross, and that took all of the sins, but yet you can work your way to heaven, Christ didn't have to die. Why would God sacrifice his own son if he didn't have to? Why would Christ give his life if there was another way? See, Paul is clear here. It's either all of Christ or none of him. And so our righteousness comes from Christ alone. How do we promote this same distortion in our hearts today? You know, if we want to be righteous, you accept Christ and give to missions, attend church twice a week, maybe even serve in the youth ministry. We'll have you, though, by the way. That won't help you anymore to your righteousness, but we love the kids, and so do you. All right, none of those are bad things. You, we should give to missions. We'll talk about that next week. All right, not giving, but missions. Uh, we, we should help others out. We should serve in ministries. We should attend church as much as we can because we can gather together and worship God. None of those are bad, but they don't gain us any more righteousness. We don't become more right with God because of the things we do. All right, flip back a little more to 2 Corinthians. Just a little more. Don't go too far. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. So we need righteousness. Where are we going to get it? So this is what Paul says about Jesus. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become righteousness in God. This is... I want you to catch this because this is both amazing 
and saddening, and it hits all gambits of my emotional range here. All right, so we create this expanse between us and God because of our sin, and there's no way across. Nothing we can do. Scripture is constantly pointing that out. The Israelites tried sacrifices. It didn't work. Right, Jesus came and said, no, that's not what it's about. It was pointing to me. The ultimate sacrifice. And here's what Jesus does. Here's what Jesus did on the cross. He took my sins and your sins and everyone's sins who have faith in Him, and He took them. Now, I want you to think about this. You don't have to raise your hand or say anything, any, anything a little rhetorical question. How many of you are going to sin five years from now? All right, think about that. Okay, I saw some hands. I assume everyone's mind went, yep, me. All right, he took those sins. You haven't even sinned yet, and he's already got those. God sent his son who was completely sinless, perfect in every way, who was God, and he sent him down to become man, and upon him he took all of our sins. But he didn't stop there. Like, he could have took our sins, and then we, you know, all right, now you get a new fresh start. But it didn't stop there. Not only did Jesus take our sins, what does he do? He gives us his very righteousness. Now, how right is Jesus with God? He sits at the right hand of God himself. And so Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to give my life and I'm going to take your sins and I'm going to set you right before God. Not anything else. I'm going to give you this free gift. So we are sinners that need righteousness and we receive a free gift of that and we have to have faith in that. So how do we get this righteousness? This righteousness that crosses this great expanse between God and I. Because I can't get there if God destroys sin and I'm sinful. We receive it by faith. Alright, let's flip to Philippians chapter 3. We're only going to flip a few more times. Alright, chapter 3, Philippians verse 9. This might be one of the most key verses to Christ alone. And being found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. There is nothing that I can do to be right before God. That's what Paul is clearly saying to us. Then he goes on. Through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Righteousness cannot come from us. Nothing we can avoid or even avoid doing. All right, You can't be like, I'm just going to keep myself away from sinning. I wish sometimes it was that easy. But it's not about that. Nothing can restore my brokenness, my great expanse between me and God, except for faith in Christ would I receive my rightness. Now, does it say anything else? I want you to read it again. That which comes through faith in Christ, comma, nothing else. 
500 years ago, that's not what the church was saying. There are churches today, I grew up in one, that still say the same thing. You have to come to Christ and do dot, 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 dot. Or you're not saved. And then sometimes you're not saved, you go to purgatory and you still have to work there. All right, none of that is found in Scripture. If this is God's holy word and this is the way that God brings himself to us, and it doesn't say anything about any of those things, what it says is, It depends on faith and faith through who? Faith in Christ. And then it ends the thought that our righteousness doesn't depend on anything we can do, think about doing, will do, won't do. What it depends on is Christ and Christ alone. Scripture is just utterly clear. As I was studying this and wrestling with this, there are so many passages of Scripture that talk about this. We could go on for a few hours, but I also get hungry, so we're not going to do that. Through faith in Christ, I receive my righteousness. What an eye-awakening experience when I first heard the gospel. I didn't have to sit at home at night worried about the mistake I made because I knew that faith in Christ alone finished it, completed it. See, I believe it's what we struggle with passages like this, though. And here's why. I, be, I believe as Christians we struggle with this, and I believe the world struggles with it. You, now, let me tell you the, the world struggling with it example first. Maybe you've had this conversation before. And it goes something like this. Christians are so hypocritical. Look how much they sin. Why would God ever save them? What do they do to deserve to be saved? Or the Christian response, or our call the Jonah experience. Hey, go tell these people about me and how they should repent. Whoa, God, have you met those people? Like Jonah had no desire whatsoever. He's the weirdest prophet. All right, He was like, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to take a boat, sail the opposite direction. If you don't know where Nineveh is, it's way inland. We don't know why he was out on a boat. Right? And he's like, I'm going to go the complete opposite direction. God, you just you punish them. They deserve punishment. And God's like, all right, fine. I'll have you thrown off a boat, eaten by a fish, spit out on land, and then we'll see. And then not only does he finally go and he tells people and they repent, he's still mad about it. He's like, I'm going to sit up here and watch you smite him, God. Weirdest prophet. But here's the thing. That often happens. We see our friends and our neighbors and maybe even family and we're like, they're bad. And here's my response to both sides. Yeah. That's what's crazy about it. Like I put this gap between me and God. I did it. My sin. And God said, hey, guess what? I still love you. Hey, guess what? I still want you to repent. Hey, guess what? I'm going to sacrifice the greatest sacrifice anyone can ever make. Jesus is going to step down from heaven and give his life. And here's why we should be encouraged. One last passage. Romans chapter 8. This is my final encouragement to you through Scripture. 
Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's the law of Christ alone versus the law itself. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do by sending his own son in in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. I want you to note here this word. There is therefore no condemnation. You like to outline, write stuff down, remember stuff. This is something I think you should wake up every day if you have faith in Jesus and say to yourself. What is there with because of faith in Christ alone? There is no condemnation. See, here's what Christ did. We have this giant gap between us and God, and he comes as man in the flesh, and he dies, and he takes our sins, and he gives us righteousness. So what's that mean? Those of us that have faith get to move over here, and that expanse is gone, and now we get to enter into the presence of God. And, and, and not only is that a current promise, but a future promise, but here and now, Paul reminds us this, and we should remind ourselves on a daily basis, this is what Jesus did for us. There is no condemnation. How much condemnation? No, 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 no. There's none. See, as a kid, I sat there at night, and as we, we would, I would go to Sunday school or Wednesday night classes, and I would sit there, and they would tell us these things of what I had to do to get right with God. And they said, say these prayers this many times. I was like, wow, that's a lot of praying. But it doesn't say anything. And they said, well, go confess to this person and go do this thing and go do that thing. And I'm like, I can't do this. As a sinful person, I cannot save myself. And I don't have to. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. None. All that requires on us is faith. And here's the cool part. God gives us that too. No condemnation. Here, here's the transfer. I, you had to not break 0.01% of the law or you're in trouble. You can actually go a lot of more zeros over if you want. But now God has transferred to 100% on our side. We are right before God. The creator of the universe, the God that speaks into existence, Son, is on our side. Now, I want you to think about this. Do you remember the first time you put your faith in Jesus? Maybe you're sitting there today and you're saying, I have it. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe you're sitting there today and saying, I'm, I'm thinking about a lot of things in my life in the grace of God. But I, 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 there wasn't like these explosions. I remember when this happened. I talked about at the beginning here. I was sitting at a youth event. The pastor, the youth pastor shared the gospel for the first time. And I was like, these are all things I believe. I don't know why I'm not believing this. I didn't know I have faith in it. And I remember that moment of faith truly happening. And I don't remember this like ticker tape parade or anything like that. All I remember is peace. Peace that there's a God that loves me so much that even when I mess up in the future, He still pursues me and He still saves me. Not over and over again. One time finished, done, once and for all. 
The God of the universe is at my side, and I was so much at peace. There was no more fighting. There was no more war. There was no more pain between God and I. What it allowed me to do, it freed me to where I am today, where I got to read Scripture and be excited about what God is doing and eventually say, God, I want to do this and serve you with all of my life, not just as a pastor, but just as a person in general. And I worked a lot of crazy jobs. All right, You can worship and live your life out as a trash man and glorify God because I did it. And it can be hard at times and there can be a lot of things you're wrestling with. But how sweet it is to remind ourselves on a daily basis that if we have faith in Jesus Christ alone, there is no condemnation. That huge expanse between us and God is gone, and we get to live in that, not only in, not only in heaven. Not only in heaven, that's coming, and that's going to be even more glorious. But here and now, in this present day, your time, your energy, your treasures, all of the things of life can be all about Jesus. God did what the law could not. God did what I cannot. No matter what kind of tower I try to build to get to Him, you know that that doesn't work very well. I can't reach God. No matter how many things I try to do to make myself right, I can't get to God. I get no closer to God. Those are things we should do. Don't get me wrong. You'll wrestle with that tonight at small group. Uh, But, It's not about me, and that's the beauty of it. It's about God, how God condemns sin in the flesh of Christ so that I may receive righteousness through faith. It's about God. The Christian gospel states this clearly, that Christ alone, his life, death, and resurrection is the only thing that satisfies God's justice. God is a just God, and sin demands justice. And so who pays the price? Jesus does. Otherwise, we pay it ourselves. Nothing we can do to add to it will change it. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're thinking about as you hear these things. Maybe you had a similar experience that I did when I was growing up. That you heard that you have to have faith in Christ and do da 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 now, Scripture talks about doing works, but that comes through faith in Christ, not out of the desire to save yourself. We do works because we love God because He saved us. So I want to remind you, it's not because of us, but because Christ alone we are saved. During our ups and downs, during our walks with Christ, we can remember that there is no condemnation. Christ has taken our sins upon Himself. Hear God's workmanship that He pursues and loves and seeks out and all we do is get faith from Him and put it in Jesus. And Christ alone does all of the work. I wanna, when I write sermons, I listen to music and I have this like list of, it's literally called sermon writing uh, list of music and I just let it play It's literally, majority of it's David Crowder. Uh, But I want to read these lyrics from David Crowder's song, How He Loves. And you've probably heard it before, and no worries, I'm not going to sing it to you. But I think, as I was sitting there writing this, see, in the midst of all this, and, and I feel like we have the easy part of it, all we have to do is have faith that God has given us in Christ alone. 
But what a God to pursue us relentlessly. That He would step down out of heaven and sacrifice Himself for us. And so this is what He says. Oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. And we are His portion and He is our prize. Drawn to redemption by the grace in His eyes. If grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. To sink into God's grace. And Isaiah's in the temple and he's got God's glory flowing around him. And what does he do? He hits his knees and says, I'm unworthy. And what's Jesus do? He makes us right. And all that requires of us is faith in Christ alone. Period. End of thought, end of sentence. Christ alone. So this morning, if you're wondering how that works, it works really easy. You put faith in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and He rose from the dead conquering death and He sits in heaven waiting to return for us. That's faith in the gospel. That's the thing I heard for the first time and I'd been in church for years when I was 15. And man, did it wake me up to a God of oh how He loves us. He would put Christ alone before us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I praise You for Christ. I praise You for the life He gave. I praise You for the Word that we have to see You. I praise You for the faith that You give us. I praise You for the grace that You've given us. And God, I want the glory to be to You. As we've spoken Your Word today, as You're reaching into hearts, as people are hearing it, is maybe they're struggling with something or they're encouraged by it or they're challenged by it or they know something to share with their friends now. God, I want you to be at the center of all of it. Father, this is a day where we as the church gather together as a part of the church and we, and we celebrate you together. We give you all of the glory. And so God, may you be glorified by our hearts and actions. And God, we thank you so much that you would give Christ for us. That he would give up his right to heaven to come to earth to be a servant. To give his life in the most humiliating way possible on the cross. He would take all of our sins and give us all of his rightness. And God, we thank you for that. Father, we love you. Not even anywhere near how much you love us. And so, Father, we thank you for all that we do. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.